please stay right where you are because it's time for GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Stay tuned for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. And now, your host for GeorgiaCarry.org radio, Doug and Jesse King. Welcome to GeorgiaCarry.org radio, folks. I'm Doug, and I'm here with Jesse this week. And uh, in light of what happened on the UCLA campus, I think we're going to spend quite a bit of time on that this week. And then we're going to talk a little bit about reciprocity and campus carry in general, because... I don't really think that the UCLA campus shooting is a, a campus shooting in in the the spirit of the way the media was trying to portray it at the beginning. It it, it seems much more focused. Well, they they want to make it like it's one of the shootings like um, Virginia Tech or exactly. like that, and it's not. Uh, even though the Virginia Tech shooter had somewhat of a vendetta against some of his victims there were there was a lot of just spraying bullets at strangers the 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 <clears throat> classical mass shooting involves it's more of terrorism real real pure terrorism right i mean this is something where it's not there there isn't a particular target the target is the institution the target is the movie theater the target is the school itself not any individual person there and then the the goal is to inflict as much damage as possible before the shooter ends up either killing themselves or being killed by police officers and usually when there's a manifesto involved it's explaining why the vendetta is there, but not so much targeted at specific people. Right. This institution or, or this society, this culture as a whole, that's terrorism, right? Right. You know, we, we start talking about, oh, this is terrorism. Is this an act of terrorism? Our president won't you know, declare anything to be terrorism. But let's, let's look historically what terrorism was. Terrorism is a, an act designed to bring about political change by changing the the operation of the populace, okay? So you make people afraid to go to the markets. That changes their behavior. They create an outcry. Government changes its policies to stop the pressure that makes them afraid to go to the market. That's, you know, if we're going to talk about terrorism in the 70s, you know, Palestinian terrorist activity, that was the goal, is that they create pressure on a population to change their behaviors, to create pressure on the government to change a policy. Some of the first terrorist attacks I remember in my life were in Ireland. Yeah, the the uh, Irish Republican Army, yeah. IRA. And that was... They were blowing up buses and trains, and they were, they were getting it, buddy. To do what? To try to win a civil war that was going on there. Against England. And by, bring the, by making the uh, war of attrition and bringing the, the casualties up, they would dissuade the English from wanting to exert pressure there. So there again, classical terrorism. So we see this in, in the same kind of behavior in other attacks. Mm-hmm. Um, be it as the, the last, the San Bernardino attack was, had a terror element to it where even though he worked there, he went in and, and kind of just blew people away. To, to create random terror throughout that group of people. The, um, the, the movie theater shooting from Colorado. Yeah, that, that, that guy's crazy. Well, he was crazy, but he, again, he had that kind of a, a motive behind it. He was looking at a group of people that he was going to bring 
Terror 2 in order to advance his manifesto. Whether No matter how batshit it was, it doesn't really matter. Aren't it, most it, of these people people that are mentally ill and just kind of fell through the cracks because the system's failing? Probably. I mean, there's different schools of thought Like there. Dylan Stormroof. People yeah. knew he was crazy. I mean, he probably should have been on medication and possibly committed some some of these people are people who hear voices and and they're just nuts but some of them and when you look at at crime as a whole most criminals are not mentally ill okay most criminals are suffering from socioeconomic pressures to do what they do and then you have the occasional crazy person that just does stuff which is the minority in crime as a whole so if we start looking at UCLA, we're, I, I think that we see that this was not really terrorism. This wasn't necessarily a crazy person. This was simply a crime. Right. And, and it is not the type of crime that gets mass shooting kind of publicity. If this had happened anywhere else than a college campus, nobody would have heard about it. In fact, he killed his girlfriend first and nobody heard about that. So well no. after the college campus thing took off because well, I think that they weren't aware as aware of that until after the college campus thing had took off. Okay, how many he, people do you think have been murdered in the U.S. in the last forty-eight hours? Oh, quite a few. And how many of them are getting this kind of media attention? None of them. That's because it just a murder doesn't matter. But after the college campus shooting, it did suddenly because it, it was connected. Mm-hmm. It suddenly becomes interesting, but only because this happened to happen on a college campus. If it had happened at if a if it had happened at the bar, Dairy Queen, it wouldn't have been as big of a deal. Well, maybe Dairy Queen. You never know. I mean, the, you, whenever you have something that's family oriented, you can get that kind of pull. But if it had happened at a roadside bar, oh yeah, if if Bubba had gone in and shot. You know, Jim Bob mm-hmm. and, and his, had first and his shot girlfriend. his girlfriend Ellie, and they they'd have been like, "Well, you know, it was one of them crimes of passion, and Bubba had some problems, and that would have been the end of it." That would have been the end of it, and it would never gotten any in- interest at all. But this is being twisted and pulled to make issues of campus carry, which is really bizarre. I mean, this is absolutely bizarre because UCLA is not a campus carry. College. This no, is not a campus carry they're, state. They're, they're turning it into an issue that doesn't even have anything to do with it. Yeah, I mean, and they're trying to make it a poster child for something. It, it, it well, can't. Be. And the reality is, they try to do that with every shooting because they're terrified of people with guns. And it doesn't matter whether we're good people with guns or bad people with guns. They're scared of guns in general. Okay, so what is a gun? It's a tool. And and a tool for what? For me, self-protection. For a criminal, robberies, burglaries, rapes, murders. So why do people in power give, give one flip about your self-protection or a criminal's robbery, rape, or murder? Seriously. They, they don't. So then They're, what is a gun? It is a, a tool that could be used to change society. There you go. It is a tool that could be used to overthrow the government, and that's where the undermine real fear authority, is. Undermine yeah. their power structure. Um, you know, what What did Chairman Mao say? That all change comes from the barrel of a gun, right? I guess. Yeah, I, I, I mean, don't know who Chairman that, Mao is, but... Mao Zedong from Communist China, the biggest cultural revolution. Because I hang out there so much. You, you in, in world history. Anyway, yeah, I mean, we're, we're talking about revolutionaries there. 
Chairman Mao was probably one of the preeminent revolutionaries, unless you're going to delve back to to Leninism. So here is someone who understands how to have a revolution, right? Right. And he says all change comes from the barrel of a gun. And it's true. And if you have an armed populace of free citizens, you can't control them. Um, Admiral Yamamoto in Japan in World War II says you can't invade the American mainland. Why? Because there's behind- a barrel of gun behind every blade of grass. Thank you. So... You know, people who understand the dynamics of power understand that an armed populace is not able to be controlled. So then what do you do? Well, you either have to find ways to disarm the populace or you have to find ways to control the populace regardless of their ability to rise up. And I think we see both of these things happening in the U.S. right now. We, ha- we see methods of control being implemented on the American population through television, through Internet, through mass media, through video games, through anything that will cause sports. Brainwashing. Anything that can cause enough of a distraction so that people don't care. And my favorite example of this is this, this meme that goes around every once in a while. It says Fox has got a picture of, of President Obama drinking a Pepsi. It says... President Obama makes the right choice baby from MSNBC, Fox News, President Obama declares war on Coke, um, the New York Times, President Obama d- doesn't feel in touch with the lower class, and then BBC says 19 killed in U.S. drone strikes in Afghanistan. Right, because they want to draw our attention to something else. Anything else other it than is, what's going it on. It is. It's, it's like the, the magic show you go to, and, and the the kids are watching, they're like, oh, how do you do that? And it's all sleight of hand. Pay no but attention to the it, man behind the curtain. They do the sleight of hand with our media. Yeah. Anything that can provide a, a useful distraction, anything that takes... And, you know, I don't have any problem with sports. You know, it, it people need release. And, and I truly believe that the greater the mind, the more the need of the simplicity of play, right? Right. But there comes a point where you're being distracted from real issues. If you're putting more effort into your sports team than you are into politics or religion, the, the, the p- twin pillars of what a human psyche is driven to... If you're not putting your energy into one of those fields and you're putting more of it into sports, there's something unbalanced about your life. Well, I have noticed that any time there's big uproar over anything, be it public restrooms or the Confederate flag, there's something else going on in the media that they're trying to keep you from noticing as bad. So, you know, there could be a, a law that's getting ready to be pushed through or a executive order that's getting ready to be signed by a president that's not exactly something he should be signing an executive order on. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, they make an uproar over something else to cover it. So now now this leads us to a bigger issue, okay? So is this something that is being controlled and driven by a conspiracy Or is this just the natural order of institutions that take on a life of their own over time and become more than the sum of their parts? We'll we'll talk about that when we come back in just a moment. And now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. And when we were taking the break, I was kind of delving into a deeper political philosophy, something that I've been talking about a lot this week, which is why it's on the, the forefront of my mind, which is, you know, why do we have government? 
government, you know, is, I think is a natural outcome. It is a byproduct of all human interaction. As you have people who start to interact with each other, they will start to form a coalition so that they have better bargaining power with their other people that they're striving for resources. Well, from. even the native peoples had a form of government. We go back and look at the Cherokee Indians. They had a chief. And they had a board of elders that would help make decisions. So it it goes back to even people that were, quote unquote, savage. They had a way to live in in their their own society and govern their own society with from within. Which wasn't anarchy. It it had a structure. And you go back. I, I you. Just stretch it back as far as you want to, right? You know, we can go back to Hammurabi's Code. We can go back to before that. We can go back before the founding of of Egyptian society. You're going to have tribes. You're going to have individual leaders. And that's just the way that humans structure themselves. Because in order to be able to compete realistically for resources that are limited, you need to have cooperation. Cooperative groups survive better than individuals do. Therefore, the people who tend to cooperate with each other under some form of a structure flourish have more children and it is an evolutionary pressure that that sort of a temperament is in the human nature well even in you know larger families where there was you know like grandparents and, and the grandparents had had you know like 11 children multi-generational and multi-generationals on the same land they they were very patriarchal or matriarchal one or the other right. there was a structure. There was somebody who made final decisions went oh, that's not going to fly mm-hmm. so it, it goes even that far into our our breeding, Makeup. yeah. And, and the reason for that is the true loners, the ones who are not able to cooperate, not able to work with other people, die off without reproducing. I mean, in it, its most basic form, even a marriage is a governmental unit because you have to work through, you have to collect resources, you have to work through. St- problems. You have to be able to come up with final decision-making authority in order to raise the children that takes more than just giving birth and walking away from them. And since the resources of both parents, their genetic code is tied up into this next generation, the only way it will flourish and continue to carry on their genetic code is if they can work together for a period of time long enough for the children to become independent. And with human beings, that takes at least 10 to 12 years. I don't know. With your kids, it's not... I mean, John, (laughs) he's eight almost. They're smart, but they're still not capable of fending for themselves in the wild. No, I don't think he could fend for himself in the wild, but I do think that he could survive a couple of days if something happened to us and we were just suddenly gone. Yeah, but that's not enough for him to reach sexual maturity to pass on the genes to another generation. This is true. If you are not able to get your children to the point where they are reproducing, your genes don't go anywhere. So that sort of loner mentality is genetically predisposed to be eliminated from human beings. So most human beings work well in a society. Most human beings are able to submit to some form of authority. And most human beings human beings recognize that some form of authority is necessary in order to have a, a collective greater achievement than is possible individually. But most human beings also accept the fact that there should be some checks and balances. So then there comes the point that occasionally to keep government functioning the way it should be so that it's not only self-concerned, because there comes a point where government has grown so much that it is very self-involved and it no longer cares about the people that it's supposed to govern. And it's very... um, 
self-functioning. And well, when it becomes self-functioning and overgrown, then there there's, comes the time where we need a revolution. Like we talk about with AI, there comes a point where it becomes self-aware, right? I mean, that's like the, the big fear. At some point, artificial intelligence will reach the point where it meets a Turing test, and you can no longer distinguish whether you're talking to a person or a computer. Did you see the thing? I think it was Microsoft did, where they had the the robot that was posting on Twitter, and it was supposed to learn from other people's Twitter posts. And within like four hours, it was psychotic. posting the N word. <laughs> Really? Yeah, I'll have to find that article and so share it with you later. So it followed Kanye West, apparently, early on in uh, its developmental life. Or Ludacris, or Jay-Z, or... <laughs> I, I'll tell you, um, one of those rappers, yeah. Eminem, maybe, I don't know. I don't know if he could get away with it. No, no. <laughs> no and it was using it not with the A at the end, but with the E-R at the end. Oh, so, wow. And it it was spewing some hateful things. They had to deactivate it. Well, it was a Microsoft creation. I mean, we're going to assume that working under Windows 10 is going to be a hateful thing, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it already has... It, it basically forces intercourse with your computer to come in and, and take over. Here it is. <laughs> the article is on <coughs> theverge.com. And it says that Twitter taught Microsoft's AI chatbot to be a racist butthole in less than a day. <laughs> of course, it used another word, but yeah. and it says it took less than twenty four hours for Twitter to corrupt an innocent AI chatbot. It was its name was Tay, and it was the more you chat with Tay, the smarter it gets. And it was supposed to engage people through casual and playful conversations. Oh, so people knew it was a bot. People knew it was a bot. So people were messing with it. Of course, probably. There Um, you go. Thank thank you, Anonymous. That's what we needed. It says... Go back to messing with ISIS instead. Tay tweets, at God bless America, we're going to build a wall and Mexico is going to pay for it. Apparently it followed Donald Trump, Donald Trump for a minute. <laughs> well, you know, everyone is following Donald Trump around, so why not the AI? Right. But there, what, what I was getting at, what I was trying to go towards, was there comes a point where government becomes self-aware, too. And I think that there comes a point where the media becomes self-aware. It's not that there is a conspiracy. There is nobody directing them and telling them what to do. But there is a, a collective subconscious that comes into the pressures that are driving the media to do certain things. And the media, there, there, there is an institutional liberal bent that that gives it a a shade when they start to work with each other but there are there's also social pressure from other networks that push it in certain directions and then there is a response to the public because they're all feeding off of our response well they also feed off of what they're told they're allowed to report and what they're not see that goes more towards the conspiracy that there's some censorship that goes on here and there's certain things that are released everything that happens isn't released to the media just because oh. the White House knows about stuff doesn't mean that they share it with the media. I don't know. We've we've kind of hit a different age now than it used to be. In the 60s and 80s and early 2000s, I could see that. But I was just talking to an information officer the other day who works for a, a large department, mm-hmm. and he was telling me that their biggest problem is everybody wants to spew everything to the media all the time. And it, it, it has detrimental effects on their their product that... 
every time something happens, they're like instantly doing press releases about it, and the media is covering it. And then later on, they have to do retractions, or it sets unreasonable expectations, and everything is messed up because so much information is being constantly just just vomited out from this information department in ways that are, are detrimental. And you can't get around that new corporate mentality that you need to just – you want to make the media your friends. They're going to – when something happens, they'll be on your side. But no, they're not. It's just more and more information. It's become its own monster. Well, it, and it is in a way. I mean, we have a tragedy, okay? Say there is a school shooting. Before the – the real details of the school shooting is ever released. The media has flown over with helicopters and made their own guesstimations of what's going on there. So, you know, they see an FBI guy with a, a bulletproof vest on and they think it's the gunman in the woods or, or whatever. You know, they, they make their own theories and then they end up retracting those and making corrections. And this happens over and over and over again. And you see this in a lot of their reporting. So drive by media is what Rush calls them. Like a drive-by shooting. You don't really care what happens. You just rush into it and try to get as much viewership as you can. But I still think that there's a lot of censorship that goes on on what we're allowed to say and what we're not allowed to say in the media. And it doesn't happen for us here Just as you and George bad. Carlin. Me and George Carlin. Well, you know, I have to watch out for those seven deadly words that you're not allowed to say on the air. Because mm-hmm. six of them are my favorite words. Yeah. <laughs> but at any rate, it's... I believe that there's the conspiracy theory. I, I kind of believe in that and and believe that we have some censorship and, and that they hide things from the public. And sometimes for the public's own good, somebody has made the decision that the, the American people really don't need to do, know that. That'll just make them not be able to sleep at night. See, and I don't, I don't, I don't believe in that. I think that probably because of my background in political science that nation states become that start to act in their own self-interest and they are individual actors in the geopolitical spectrum and because of that they have their own sort of mentality which is more than some of its parts and I, I really have subscribed to that theory of political philosophy which changes the way you look at government as not being this like maniacal driven conspiratorial force but just being this odd creation that is more than what is people are I, I think we're coming up on a commercial break yeah so folks we'll be right back and now back to georgiacarry.org radio with doug and jesse king Welcome back, folks. So when we took the break, we were talking about governments and and political philosophy and that government uh, can take on a life of its own and do its own thing, even against the will, the collective will of its people. And that is kind of a scary prospect, but something that we've seen played out over in South Carolina for, well, ever. Because they didn't want reciprocity with Georgia. Which makes no sense for the share borders. And, I mean, there's towns that... Their addresses are both South Carolina and Georgia because the city sits literally on the state line. Mm-hmm. So if you live in that city and work in that city, chances are that you're going to cross a state line in your commute, either to work or to the grocery store or to the doctor. At some point, you're going to have to cross the state line. And we're not talking about little tiny towns that are, you know, just a couple hundred people. We're talking about Augusta. Augusta is a big city. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, it's, that's a I mean, massive. it's not Atlanta big, but it's it's a decent sized city. Yeah. 
it's it's a massive city for it to be split in half and have people who are worried about that. So basically, if you lived in Augusta, Georgia, you could not carry into Augusta, South Carolina, even though that was two miles away. Right. So. And I know a lot of people who go to Augusta, South Carolina to buy gas and come back because they have lower taxes over there. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of pressure there. And you would think that the the people, because the ones who it doesn't affect, people who live, like, say, in Myrtle Beach, wouldn't care. People who it does affect would care. So there would be a political motive to move and change this rather quickly, right? Well, you'd think. But the, the government of South Carolina has drug its heels on allowing it to the point that people had to go through the legislature to get get it changed. And it was it was a fight. This has been a bitter fight because although the legislature should be responsive to the ones who are most vocal about it, it wasn't. It just didn't you couldn't move the government to do it. And, and even and now we're still waiting. You're right. The the squeaky wheel is the one that gets the most oil mm-hmm. typically. But right now it's it's made it through the House and the Senate and I, I want to say that it's made it further this time than it ever has before. Well, it's, it's on Governor Haley's desk. It's on the desk waiting to be signed and, and I'm hoping that he's not going to be a, a a piece of crap like our governor and and veto it well you know that would again play into what what is government as a whole i mean is it able to thwart the will of the people when it's supposed to be made up of the people and i th- i see this as being a prime example of government reaching that level of self-awareness where it does something in spite of what everybody wants. Now, the opposite is going on in Virginia. Well, in Virginia, we had a, I want to say that it was the attorney general Mm -hmm. that said, you know what? Virginia is no longer reciprocal with anyone. So they had 23 or 25, I can't remember which, states that they were originally reciprocal with that they were no longer reciprocal with. So basically, unless you were the carrier of a Virginia weapons carry license, or you were out of luck. You were out of luck. You couldn't go to Virginia. So the legislators in Virginia went, "We're going to fix you," and they made it to where Virginia will be as as of July first reciprocal with every weapons carry license in the state or in the country, as far as I'm aware. I know. Georgia's covered, and that is exciting to me because I've got family in Virginia. So here you had an individual who was a powerful individual stand up, and then the government acting as a collective entity just steamrolled them. And see, I think part of that is the problem. We need to be very careful when we're choosing our elective officials who we choose, because when you put the wrong individual into an office, say you choose the wrong person to be your sole commissioner in your county, um, you give a person unlimited power over a lot of people, and they'll do things that are in their best interest and not necessarily the best interest of the people. And suddenly I see Emperor Palpatine with lightning bolts shooting from his fingers going, power, unlimited power. Well, I mean, this attorney general in, in Virginia, he decided he didn't like guns. So because he didn't like guns, he was going to make it so nobody could bring a gun into the state unless you were already licensed in the state. 
and that's just a little bit over the top. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Well, you see, this is this is the the inherent struggle. You were talked about it before about checks and balances, and there has to be this pull, this dynamic. And my fear is that government eventually loses that pull or that dynamic, that it becomes so big and so bloated that government is unable to feel the pull from the people because it has become its own individual entity. It has achieved self-awareness beyond the collective, and it does what it wants despite. Well, see, what we need to do as, as a people is to learn to elect these officials out so when they do something that is against what the people want, the people need to use their voice and their vote and get rid of these people out of their offices and put somebody new in. So we we send a message to them, if you don't do what we want you to do, then you just won't work for us. But doesn't that go against possibly millions of years of evolution where we have been bred you to think be... think we have evolved to vote for the incumbent? I think we have evolved to vote for the incumbent because when you have political upheaval in your small tribal group, then the group divides, you become less effective to gather resources, and you die off. It's the ones that were able to maintain cohesiveness in spite of bad situations that were able to spread their genetic information further and it's created people who are more likely to suffer usurpations while they are sufferable than to destroy long established forms of government to which they are accustomed as it says in the declaration of independence i i don't agree i think that people know what's good for themselves and when the government tries to tell them what's not in agreement with that people should be smart enough to say wow that goes against all of my moral fibers i think i'll vote against that person at least that's how i vote i mean maybe i've been taught different than the rest of society well i don't know that it's what i'm postulating today is that it's not learned behavior that this is instinctual and that there are some people i remember i said the, the vast majority so you're of people telling me that it's instinctual for people to say oh so and so the incumbent he's screwing things up good we'll we'll just keep voting for him he's he's doing an all right job at screwing me over i think most people will go well yeah he may have done this or that wrong but overall things are working pretty good i, I think, think that's their default position and i think the default position is with people being uneducated voters is fear of of the unknown and it is better the devil you know than the devil you don't right but is is that a conscious choice or is that instinctual in people having come from a a situation where governments whether it be tribal or or you know rome does it it is in your best interest to go along with government i think it's a little bit of both it's possibly a little bit of both not only is it a little bit of instinctual, but it's also something we've learned to do. We'd rather have the the tyrant in there now than the possible worst tyrant in the future. So with that as as an underpinning, how do you make meaningful change? How do you keep the government in check and how do you make sure that the government is responsive and in things like campus carry well the government believes that the way that that's going to happen is by people owning guns and that's the reason they try to take away our firearms and to dissuade people from voting and, and to play all sorts of shell games so that people aren't motivated to get involved 
I mean, we see that through the primary process, how difficult it is to get people to the polls because it's held on weird days and, and they divide it up so you have to vote multiple times for the same office. And it, it, there are systems in place designed to discourage activity. But I think that there's a larger issue here and that is something that has to be addressed in that people are conditioned through evolution, through evolutionary pressures, through their educational system to not question authority and that that is a very dangerous thing. Do you think the educational system teaches kids not to question authority? Absolutely. What do you do if you stand up and tell a teacher they can't do something? Oh, they send you to the office. I think that our educational system um, trains children to sit in cubicles. Because they put you in a in a seat with your work, and you're not supposed to talk to anybody, or look at anybody, or touch anybody, or make any noise. You're just supposed to sit there quietly and, and do your work, and not interact socially. So they're teaching our children to test, sit in a cubicle, and not question authority. Mm-hmm. That's what public system, public school gives you. Well, even private school has the same sort of factors in place. All school follows that same pattern. And private schools are in competition to become more and more like public schools, although they may have a different, you know, religious or educational philosophy. They still become, they even follow the, the days off patterns of public schools in order to mesh up with what the other kids are doing. So I have a question for you. Oh, no. You have a case coming up this week, don't you? Monday, yeah. I've got my hearing June 6th at 1 o'clock over in DeKalb County Courtroom B in the state court on um whether or not my, my client was legally or illegally carrying a firearm on school grounds. And um, they're, my position, uh, you know, if the DA or the solicitor is listening right now, they can get the whole read of my case, which is it's the state's job to prove that the law is in effect. I have raised an issue that the law was passed that says that he was legally allowed to carry. They need to prove that that law is no longer on the books or was preempted by another law, and they need to do it beyond a reasonable doubt, and they have Monday to do it. So we could see a change in our ability to carry on campus as of as early as next week. No, because we we the law was passed in 2014, and that's what's out there right now, and that's the law. And your ability to carry on campus is not impacted at all by this case because okay. you've always been allowed to carry. We could, be, without fear, be allowed to campus on care, carry on campus as early as next week. That could be yes. Okay. Well, we're coming up on a commercial break. We'll be back after a few words from our sponsors. You're listening to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio. And now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. So we hope you enjoyed that commercial break. And, you know, every week we talk a little bit about how to join GeorgiaCarry.org and, and how to be effective in, in this organization. And, Jesse, there are a lot of ways that you can join GeorgiaCarry.org. Well, you can go to local festivals, and most of the local festivals, GeorgiaCarry.org will have a booth set up where you can go and sign up, pay $20 a year or $500 for a lifetime, and um, become a member. You can also usually find them at most local gun shows and that kind of thing a lot of the ranges local ranges have information about signing up as well as going to the website the the organization and its website are the exact name georgiacarry.org 
Uh, you can go there and click on membership and sign up online. You can even, I think, believe there's an option to sign up, print off of the application and mail in a check, too, if you don't feel comfortable putting your credit card information in online. Well, that's all great ways to get involved. And there's, of course, chapter meetings that come up. I know that there was one at Tifton just recently where they had uh, a limited seating raffle door entry prize of a rifle and good food. There's opportunities for people to get involved in volunteering. You can volunteer at the gun shows to be able, one of the volunteers, to help sign up new members. And there's lots of things that we can do, including the upcoming convention. Yeah, the convention's coming up in August. I want to say it's August 5th. And it's over there at the Waverly in Marietta. Over nice, near nice hotel. 285. It's a very nice hotel. And um, it involves some open carry, uh, silent auction, they've got poker good, night. They've got a good Indian restaurant just up the street. Yeah, they do. they got a good Chinese restaurant up the street. Yes. They've got a KFC with a buffet. If you live in rural Georgia and your KFC doesn't have a buffet, you can go to KFC and have a buffet there. If you wish to gorge yourself on chicken until you feel like you're going to die, that's a good opportunity. Yeah, they have all types of chicken on their buffet, too. They've got original, extra crispy, the grilled stuff, livers. I believe that you may be a little hungry. I'm starving. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, the the local chapter meetings, you can also sign up at those. Uh, GeorgiaCarry.org is also looking for volunteers to work at some local gun shows uh, helping people sign up and and making a difference and it's Um, hard to get volunteers let me tell you trying to get people to come out and and help you you know walk up and down streets and sign petitions is just a bear yeah i know um but if you're interested in volunteering you can contact the volunteer coordinator i believe that it is volunteer at georgiacarry.org is the email address it's probably something if not just email us at radio at georgiacarry.org and someone will read that email and get right on it Right. They'll forward it over. Um, You can also contact the membership coordinators if you are interested in volunteering and can't figure out who to talk to, and and they'll direct you in the right place. And if you're listening to us online, please stop. You can listen to us on on the air. All you have to do is contact your local radio station, let them know you enjoy our show, and tell them that you'd like to hear us on their station. Then send us that information of who you spoke with at radio at georgiacarry.org. And Doug and I will personally reach out to them and try to syndicate to your local station. So now you wanted to follow up a little bit more about my case, I thought. Right. So what happens next? Well, Monday we have a triumphant victory and the the state lays down and that's the end of that and life is good, right? <laughs> I mean, okay, okay, so you're so, such an optimist. Okay, so say you go in and the judge rules in your favor. Okay, the judge rules... Um, let's say that it's a limited ruling. The judge rules that he was uh, perfectly legal in carrying his firearm on campus, but that does not necessarily mean that we beat the criminal trespass charge. It depends on what the basis of the criminal trespass charge is. And if they say that he was legally carrying but told to leave the campus and refused, even though he had the opportunity to, he might be able to be charged with a criminal trespass, which would lead to a jury trial on the remaining charges. Personally, knowing the the climate in DeKalb County, I think that if their main charge of carrying on campus is completely thrown out, that the criminal trespass will be easy to take care of. Can they criminal trespass him because of the firearm if he was legally carrying on they can't they can't trespass him because of the firearm but they can criminal trespass him for no reason for at any all stupid reason they, they want can to just make say up. they can just say we told him to leave and he refuses to 
But isn't there the question of why did you tell him to leave? His children are at that school. He has a right to be there as a parent. Well, he has a right to be there as long as he's not causing a disruption, as long as he is, you know, um, complying with all of their regulations. I mean, you can't just walk in. You've got to get a pass. You have to be there during the time that your pass is allowed for. You can have your pass revoked. There's lots of things. I mean, they have the ability to manage their school. So it's not like the public square where he has an absolute right to be there. You know, this is a, a limited purpose, and there there is a possibility. But I, if if they say the only reason that they criminal trespassed him was because he was doing something illegal and carrying the gun, and everything else was fine, then I think that that would fall apart too. But that's more of a gray area. I'm mo- primarily focused on the the carrying the gun as being the main charge of this thing which it is and if that the judge throws that out then we may be going to trial on the remaining issues or they may dismiss the remaining issues or there may be a plea bargain so if if the judge throws that out can the district attorney there solicitor's office it's the solicitor can they appeal that they can they can appeal it to the court of appeals to determine the judge's ruling on whether or not that applies now this is a bigger question will they or won't they if if well, appealing it to a higher court would make it a statewide issue now, not just a DeKalb, DeKalb County, County issue. Right. The In in DeKalb County, that case would have um, effect on all the other judges in DeKalb County, but it does not have effect on Cobb or Fulton. Now, if the sole case that tries this gets thrown out and we have a written ruling, then we'll disseminate the written ruling and it becomes persuasive evidence in any other court. Now, if someone else gets arrested for it and they present this evidence and the judge decides against them, then they could take it to the Court of Appeals and argue that there's a discrepancy between the two judicial systems, DeKalb County and wherever else, and that the Court of Appeals needs to sort this out. So it, it would kind of be a two-step to get in a Court of Appeals ruling. But if we just get an order from the judge, if we have an order from the judge that says that it's perfectly legal to carry on campus because of the bill that was passed and there's nothing that preempts it, then that order can get disseminated out and people can put that in their back pocket and use it to wave around if they needed it. We like to have things to wave around. Now, if we lost, then I would be filing for a interlocutory appeal because I want this heard before we go to trial because if we get heard at trial, this could alleviate the need for the trial. Right. So I think we're on, on clear ground that we could get an interlocutory appeal. Um, it would involve me waiving my speedy trial demand, which they would probably give me the appeal just so it get me to waive the speedy trial demand. Now, the interlocutory appeal... If you won that, would be again be just like them appealing it, and it's statewide. statewide. Yeah. Um, the only th- issue after that is if we win that appeal, does the state want to appeal it to the Supreme Court to try to get a different ruling? Um, it's a big issue, and I could easily see this going to the Supreme Court because if they choose, if if we get a ruling out of the Court of Appeals, then. If I, if it's against me, I'm going to appeal it. If it's against the state, the state's going to kind of have to appeal it because this is an issue that really isn't a campus carry issue. This is an interpretation of law and the how official is the official code of Georgia. And this is really big deal for the Supreme Court and for lawyers across the entire state because they have to know how they can find out what the law is. And if the Code Commission did something screwy, then that brings every single prosecution in the entire state of Georgia into question. Because if the you can't rely on the OCGA, what are you supposed to rely on? Exactly. And if they say that bills are conflicting when they're not, then, again, that's government operating in its own best interest rather than the best interest of the individuals. Right. So this, this if, 
now if they there's a possibility they could dismiss the case there's a possibility that they could um choose we could win and they could choose not to appeal it because they don't want to open up this can of worms in the court of appeals so those are both possibilities both of those possibilities ends with my client being vindicated which is what i have to do as his attorney so it's not a loss for me although it wouldn't be the the great statewide smackdown that i'd like to lay out on governor deal it would still be nice to just have a ruling that says that that gentleman was not in violation of any law, any law because that would be something nice to carry around in your wallet in case you got in trouble for carrying on the school. Yep, and I'll I'll get copies of that and, and disseminate it to anyone who wants to send me a $150 donation. That's funny. <laughs> He's kidding. So uh, we have covered a lot of topics this week, but I've really kind of enjoyed the conversation. It's always lovely talking to you, Jesse. Oh, yeah. Especially when you cut me off in traffic and I've got my window down. <laughs> Might I say something about this lovely Atlanta traffic? No. I wish they would just quit pacing the traffic on the highway during the day. Like, why can't they move these big beams at night? Instead of, like, putting them out over the interstate and stopping the traffic during the day. I don't know. I don't know. I think somebody just didn't use their brain. But anyway... We got here, and that's what matters, I guess. Amen to that. Well, folks, uh, we hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, Jesse and I are going to go get some some food now since I'm starving to death over here and keep thinking about what you can eat at the, the local chapter meetings. And we hope that you have a great weekend, that you get involved, get involved in Georgia Carey, get involved in local politics, get involved somewhere. Take someone out shooting, show your kids a day at the range, just get involved somewhere. And uh, we'll be back next week, same bat time, same bat channel. This has been GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no-compromise voice for gun owners. Tune in each week for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. GeorgiaCarry.org Radio, Saturday mornings at 8 on News Talk 1160, the talk of the town.